You are listening to the teaching podcast of Praise Community Church in Mason City, Iowa. For more information about our church, please visit praisecc.org. Last Sunday, I kind of started talking about the goodness of God, and I was kind of wanting to look at that in the context of evil and suffering. And so we kind of started looking at this question, how can God call himself good and allow evil and suffering, especially when that evil and suffering falls upon innocent or what we would describe as good or godly people? Like I said last week, most of us, we can understand and make sense um, when bad things happen to bad people. We feel like that makes sense. They're just kind of getting what they deserve. But when bad things happen to good people or people that we deem godly, we immediately wonder why would an all-powerful, all-knowing, good God allow that? I mean, why would, why would God allow a drunk driver to, you know, kill an entire family in a head-on collision? Why would God allow innocent children to suffer and or die of cancer? And like I said last week, there are no easy answers to questions like these. And like it or not, evil and suffering really has a way of exposing our inadequate and or false theology and beliefs about God. When suffering and affliction, tribulation, persecution comes, a weak or a nominal Christian often will discover that his or her faith doesn't account for this, and it certainly doesn't prepare them for what they're going through. For many Christians, when they're faced with evil and suffering, they may, in fact, end up losing their faith. But let me tell you, this may actually be a good thing because any faith that leaves us unprepared for evil and suffering is a false faith that deserves to be exposed and abandoned. Believing God exists is not the same thing as trusting in the God who exists. Believing God exists is not the same as trusting the God who exists. And here's the thing, if you base your faith on believing God must and always will keep you safe from all evil, all suffering, all persecution, all affliction, your faith will always live on the brink of extinction. And it'll fall apart because of a frightening diagnosis or a shattering phone call. Like I said last week, there are times where God does keep evil and suffering away from us, but not every time. Last week, we spent some time on the Old Testament story of Job, and some of you may not realize this, but did you know the book of Job was the first completed book of the Bible? If you were to read the Bible in chronological order, If you were to read the Bible in the events as they occurred in real time, the book of Job actually takes place in between the events of Genesis 11, chapter 11, and Genesis chapter 12. 
Now, you wouldn't think that if you were to look at a, a, a listing of the Old Testament books as they appear in the Bible, because the book of Job, it's the 18th book of 39 books in the Old Testament. And Job is kind of considered to be a part of the poetry section, along with Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, the Song of Solomon. The book of Job, all 42 chapters, actually occurred following the events of the Tower of Babel and right before the story of Abraham begins there in Genesis 11. And the reason I bring this up is because there you have 42 chapters in the book of Job. It's one of the longest books in the Bible, which tells me God intends for us to look into this. You don't just toss this aside. 42 chapters in the Bible, and what you hear and see in there is a man who is wrestling in his own heart, wrestling with his understanding of God, and he's crying out, what on earth is happening to me? And we need to hear that. I mention this because right away at the very beginning of the human race, God gives us a book, a complete book, a story that has 42 chapters of a man wrestling in his heart as to what is going on, what is the meaning of trouble and evil and suffering, why do the righteous suffer, and God, where are you in this? Again, that's interesting to me. It's as if at the beginning of the human race, God is saying, let's just get this whole issue of evil and suffering on the table right from the very beginning because I know every one of you from the beginning of this time here until Jesus comes again are going to have questions and wrestle with these same issues, these issues concerning good versus evil and the role of suffering. So it's as if God just says right at the beginning of the human race, let's just get this out on the table, let's just have this conversation, and Job comes to us as the very first completed book of the Bible. And it's in this story of Job, we see again a man who's wrestling with himself, he's wrestling with God, and we're taken actually into the other half of the universe, and we're allowed to see not only what God is doing, but also what God allows. And quite frankly, that can be very threatening to our understanding of God. Because through the story of Job, we see that not only is God in and behind, he's also working through all the things we call the troubles of life. And it all started at the very beginning of mankind's history, and that has continued through every generation since. And again, that's very interesting to me because I think we forget this whole issue of evil and suffering and where God is in all of that and what God allows has been around for the whole history of mankind. And I tell you that because this is nothing new. It is something every generation, including ours, has had to wrestle with. The book of Job reminds us that when it comes to the issues of evil and suffering, that God speaks with understanding and passion. God is not indifferent when it comes to our troubles. 
God doesn't just offer us advice, he also offers us his companionship. He doesn't promise that you'll never face hard times, that you'll never encounter evil or suffering, but he does promise when you do, he will be there with you. Listen to these words from Isaiah 43, beginning with verse one. But now, O Jacob, listen to the Lord who created you. O Israel, the one who formed you, do not be afraid. For I have ransomed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. When you go through those deep waters, I will be with you. Whenever you go through rivers of difficulty, you will not drown. When you walk through fires of oppression, you will not be burned up. The flames will not consume you. For I am the Lord, your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. And so last week, we kind of started down this path when it comes to the questions of evil and suffering. And we started looking at, at what does the Bible have to say? What is God's response when bad things do happen to good people? And why does God allow the righteous to suffer and at times the wicked to prosper? And like I said last week, and I want to remind you again this week, we need to keep three things in mind. We got started on these last week. See how far we get this week because I'm gonna basically take the same three points and I'm gonna, I'm gonna go through them again. I'm gonna give you all new uh, information that wasn't included last week because like I said, there's so much the Bible has to say. There's so much that I think God wants us to understand and, and equip us with. And the first thing we talked about was we gotta understand the dynamic of good and evil. And one of the dynamics that we've got to keep in mind when it comes to good and evil is that the goodness of God is eternal, whereas evil and suffering are temporary. Evil and suffering, trials and tribulation, persecution, all of that is limited to this earthly life, whereas the goodness of God will be experienced not only in this life, but in its fullness in the life to come. Goodness, again, it's just one of the many attributes that are a part of the nature and character of God. And because God is from everlasting to everlasting, there can be no end to any of the attributes or characteristics of God. So just as God's goodness will never ever come to an end, neither will his love, his grace, his mercy, his kindness, his compassion, his righteousness, his justness, or any of the other characteristics or attributes of God. Evil and suffering, trials and tribulations, persecution, they are bound to this life. And once this life is over, or once Christ returns again, they will no longer be allowed to affect us. As a matter of fact, Revelation 21 talks about the new heaven and the new earth. And verses three through four describe a little bit of what that will be like. I heard a loud voice shout from the throne saying, look, God's home is now among his people. He will live with them and they will be his people. God himself will be with them. He will wipe every tear from their eyes and there will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All of these things are gone forever. 
So there is coming a time where there will be no longer any of the things associated with evil and suffering, but the goodness of God, the love, the grace, the mercy, the justness, the faithfulness, everything that God is will continue from everlasting to everlasting. Now let me just say a couple of things when it comes to experiencing the goodness of God. First of all, when it comes to the goodness of God in this life, we see and experience it in both very simple, practical, and tangible ways. And we also experience the goodness of God in very complex and mysterious ways. So I wanna talk about those two aspects. In Acts 14, the Apostle Paul describes for us what I believe is kind of one of the ways we experience the goodness of God in very simple and very practical and tangible ways. Verses 16 through 17. And um, here it says, in the past, he, God, permitted all the nations to go their own ways. But get this, but God never left them without evidence of himself and his goodness. For instance, and now they're giving you an example of this goodness. It says, God sends you rain and good crops and gives you food and joyful hearts. Now Paul lists there for us several ways God in his goodness is made evident to us. He talks about the rain, good crops, uh, food to eat, joyful hearts. And again, many of the blessings we, we have and we experience in this life are a byproduct of God's goodness. It's evidence of his goodness toward us. The clothes we wear, the homes we live in, the cars we drive, the jobs we go to, the hobbies we enjoy, all these and many, many more things are the evidence the tangible, practical, day-to-day -day evidence of God's goodness toward us. And again, they're very simple. They're very practical. Some not so necessary, but again, all of it is evidence. It's testimony of God's goodness to us. Notice it tells us that no matter the nation, no matter how faithful or unfaithful they were, regardless of how kind or unkind the nation was, it says God never, ever left them without evidence of himself and his goodness. And even Jesus kind of gave testimony uh, to this. And listen to what he said in Matthew 5, uh, chapter 5, verse 45. He said, for he, God, gives his sunlight both to the evil and the good. And God sends rain on the just and the unjust alike. Jesus also says this in Luke chapter 6, verse 45. He says, God is kind to those who are unthankful and wicked. God is kind, He is good to those who are unthankful and wicked. And again, it's just evidence that God expresses his goodness to everyone, regardless of your position, regardless of your relationship with him. God expresses his goodness to everyone in very simple, in very practical, and in very tangible ways. And that's why the Bible calls us to give thanks to God in all things, for all things. We, we just give him thanks because oftentimes what we're experiencing is in his goodness. 
Now let me kind of just shift here and let me just talk about how God reveals his goodness in our life and what I see are very, very complex and very mysterious ways. Now I want you to consider the following verse from Isaiah chapter 57, verse one. And here's what Isaiah wrote. He said, good people pass away, they die. And the godly often die before their time. But no one seems to care or wonder why. No one, now get this, no one seems to understand that God is protecting them from the evil to come. Let that verse kind of just wash over your heart for a moment. Think about what Isaiah is telling us there. We all know good people Godly people who have passed away at an early age or long before their time. And when that happens, oftentimes we're stumped as to why God allowed that. Why would God allow this? Many of them were doing so many impactful things for the kingdom of God. We needed them to remain, to continue the work God was doing through them or God was doing through their ministry. But unexpectedly, suddenly, they pass away, and we're kind of left shocked and saddened, confused, and we're searching, we're looking for answers. And yet, look at one of the possibilities that Isaiah suggests there. And, and he kind of seems to say it in a way that we oftentimes don't go there. That's not what we think. He's saying God who is omniscient, that God is all-knowing, that a God who sees what none of us can see sees that there is coming a great evil into the life of that person. And it may be such an evil, and God knows that that particular person, regardless of how weak or strong their faith is, God sees the evil that is coming and realizes that if that person's allowed to go in and through that, it may be enough to destroy them. It may be enough to destroy their faith. And God knows that maybe they could not endure it. They can't bear it. And so out of his goodness, rather than allow the godly person to go through what would be unbearable, Isaiah says God just removes them from this life, sparing them. Now I know that that raises the question, why can't God just remove or prevent the evil and leave the godly one living? I don't know. That's why I put this under the heading of the complex and the mysterious. There must be a very good reason why God chooses to do this the way he does. I think of what the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 10, 13, just regarding the whole issue of temptation. Paul says the temptations in your life are no different from what others experience, and God is faithful. He will not allow the temptation to be more than you can stand. When you are tempted, he will show you a way out so that you can endure. That's the whole purpose of God. He wants you to endure. He wants you to thrive. He wants you to be victorious. And maybe the same is true when it comes to evil and suffering. Perhaps when God sees a particular circumstance of great evil coming our way, he determines whether that evil will be more than you, what you can withstand. 
And one of the paths that maybe God chooses is to remove us from this life rather than have us or our faith in him destroyed. And again, I believe one of the primary motivating factors in that decision will involve God's goodness. I believe that. That is one of the ways God's goodness may work in the life of a believer. He removes us from that devastating path of oncoming evil by removing us from this life. Now think about that just in your own personal life. If God knew, and God knows all things, if God could see, God sees all things. If God could see that there was coming into your life a very evil situation, and that evil situation had the potential of completely destroying you, destroying your faith, destroying your relationship with God, as well as many other negative outcomes, wouldn't you want God to take you out early in this life, take you home safely to heaven, sparing you the destructive, overwhelming force of that evil? I believe for every godly person where that very scenario has occurred, I believe when they get to heaven, they see what God saw, saw that the evil that was coming for them, they would be exceedingly grateful that God spared them by removing them from this life. I know I would be. I would be seeing from the vantage point of God I would see what he sees. I would know what he knows. And I would hope my response would be, thank you, Lord. You are so good. Now, I'm not saying that that choice, that that action by God doesn't adversely affect other people who are left behind again, saddened, confused, questioning, wishing, praying God would have chosen a different path and a plan. But again, when God makes that choice of removing the righteous from oncoming evil, I believe he does it knowing it was what was best for that individual. And again, I firmly, truly believe that that choice is largely motivated by his goodness. Again, I don't, I don't fully understand all the ways that God works. And anyone that tells you that they do is lying to you. As a matter of fact, if I were to be able to tell you all of the mysterious ways that God works, it wouldn't be worth hearing. Trust me. And it really brings to me, as I was thinking on that this week, it really brought to me a whole new perspective to that part in the Lord's Prayer where it says, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. One of the ways God may remove you, one of the ways God may answer that prayer is by removing us from this life. One other aspect I wanna just highlight about God's goodness along with all of his other attributes is again, evil and suffering is confined to life and is therefore temporary Whereas God's goodness and every other characteristic and attribute of God is eternal. And not only are God's characteristics eternal, from everlasting to everlasting, but they are also ever unfolding and revealing themselves in new and deeper ways.
And one of the joys and blessings, I believe, of everlasting life is that we will continue to see and we will continue to experience God's goodness in new, in differing, in deepening ways. And not just his goodness, but all of his many characteristics and attributes. One of my favorite pictures of heaven is what John describes seeing as he was taken to heaven. And he records what he saw and heard in the book of Revelation. And one description he found uh, in chapter four, beginning in verse six, and it says there, in the center and around the throne of God were four living beings, each covered with eyes, front and back. The first of these living beings was a lion, the second was like an ox, the third had a human face, and the fourth was like an eagle in flight. Each of these living beings had six wings and their wings were covered over, all over with eyes, inside and out. And get this, day after day, night after night, they kept on saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God, the Almighty, the one who was, who is, and forever will be. So here John is giving us this momentary glimpse into the heavenly realm. And he's allowed to see some of the activity that's unfolding there. And one of the revelations that he records for us involves four living beings. And it says they're surrounding the throne of God. And as they look upon the one who is seated upon the throne, it says day after day and night after night, they just keep on repeating the same phrase over and over. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God, the Almighty, the one who is and who was and who will forever be. And I wanna, I wanna tell you, I believe what those living beings are beholding and experiencing is one of God's attributes, his holiness. And again, it, it's one of many, but as they look upon the holiness of God, it, it says they are so moved by what they see that it causes them to respond in a way that they do. Now, again, what I believe is at first, all of God's attributes and his characteristics, again, including his holiness and his goodness, are not only eternal, but they are inexhaustible. They're ever-changing. They're ever-revealing themselves in new, in deeper, in profound, and in ways never seen before. So these Living beings, they're not just seeing one aspect or one dimension of God's holiness over and over and over. They're not seeing the same, um, they're not seeing repeated pictures or views of God's holiness. Again, because God is infinite. Without beginning, without end, everything about God, including his characteristics and attributes, are also infinite. So as these living creatures are looking upon God's holiness, they are given a new. It is a different, it is a deeper view and experience of God's holiness. It's never the same view. It's never the same experience. It's never the same dimension. It's always something new. It is something they've never seen before. It's something they've never experienced before about the holiness of God. 
And with each new and deeper and more profound revelation of the holiness of God, their response to that is holy, holy, holy is the Lord God, the Almighty, who was, who is, and who is yet to come. And you can do that with the holiness of God. And then you can come over and look at the goodness of God and it'll be the same thing. The goodness of God will be revealed to us throughout eternity in new, in deeper, and profound ways. And we'll never exhaust that. And, and then we can come over and look at the love of God and the same thing. You'll see the love of God in a new and a different, in a, and you'll experience in a way you've never experienced it before. And just when you get used to that, you're going to experience in a new, in a different, in a deeper, in a more profound way. And then when you're done with that, you can come over to the mercy of God, to the compassion of God. Consider what Lamentations chapter 3, verses 22 through 23 says, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. It never ceases in terms of being new. It, it never ceases in, in being deeper and deeper. His mercies never come to an end. They, they are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Right there you have three characteristics and attributes of God. His steadfast love, his mercies, his faithfulness. It also says they, meaning his steadfast love and his mercies are new every morning. Now I want you to understand that word new means new in kind. In other words, the ways we see and experience God's steadfast love and mercies are new. It means we've never seen, we've never experienced anything like this before. And this will be one of the ways that we are going to experience. It's one of the ways we're going to interact in heaven. It's why I'm so looking forward to being in heaven because it will be an eternal. It will be a never-ending, ever-changing new revelation of all the infinite and unlimited dimensions of God's character and attributes. And each new revelation will ignite within us this awe-inspiring response of worship and praise to God. I want you to know this is what theologians call the beauty realm of God. And that's what eternity is going to be about. We are going to experience, we are going to see the beauty realm of God unfolding continuously, always, eternally, in new and in deeper ways. And the good news is we don't have to wait till we get to heaven to see and experience all of God's attributes and characteristics. We can, we can begin to experience some of that here and now as we fellowship with him. As we walk in relationship to God, we can begin to experience some of that in the here and now. Granted, I believe it will be easier to do there and then in heaven but we can still have a foretaste of that in the here and now. And let me just throw this out there. Since God is infinite without beginning and without end, I also believe there are going to be characteristics and attributes of God that we know nothing about in this life, but will be revealed to us in the life to come. I'm excited about the things I know about God, and I look forward to great anticipation 
to seeing and learning the things about God I know nothing of at this point. And again, just to remind you, evil and suffering are temporal and they're bound to this life. Whereas the beauty realm of God, that is his goodness, is a part of not only this life, but the life that is to come. So again, this is just another and a differing aspect of the dimensions of good and evil that I didn't get to last week. Second thing I talked about when considering when it comes to the issue of good uh, versus evil is that we looked at the sovereignty of God, meaning that God is, he's just in control of all things. And that again, if that were true, we kind of talked about if we believe that God is sovereign and God is in control of all things, why wouldn't he or couldn't he keep evil and suffering from happening to innocent, righteous, godly people? And again, I said last week, we all know uh, from time to time that God keeps bad things from happening to us. We, you know, we've been spared maybe a, a really bad car accident. We were able to escape you know, a, a fire. And again, he does it all throughout Scripture. You know, he kept lions from eating Daniel. We talked about you know, the fire not being allowed to uh, consume Shadrach, Meshach, and Abendo. He kept Noah and his family safe in the ark. He, he kept the giant Goliath from killing David and actually giving David the ability to kill him. So we know that God can keep bad things from happening to us, but he doesn't always do it. And again, namely, if God could keep some bad things from happening to any good person, why doesn't he keep all bad things from happening to every good person? If God could, some, could keep something bad from happening to me at any point in my life, why not at every point in my life? And again, what we discover as we look to God's word is that God never fully explains why he allows evil and suffering in some instances, but not in others. Again, let me just throw this out here. Even though evil and suffering doesn't always make sense to us in the moment it is occurring, doesn't mean it doesn't make sense. If God is all good and God is all powerful and God is in control of all things, there can be no such thing as a perfect accident. God has made it plain that every event that takes place in your life and mine, whether it's good or bad, is a piece that will eventually in time fit perfectly into the puzzle of his overall plan for you and for me. And again, I think this was the motivation, this was the intent behind Paul's words there in Romans 8.28. And we know that God causes all things to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. Now, I want you to notice there, Romans 8, 28, it doesn't say that each individual separate event we experience is good in and of itself or that each individual separate event works for good on its own. Rather, what Paul is telling us there is that God causes them to all work together for our good under his sovereign hand. In other words, Roman 8.28 declares a cumulative and ultimate good, not an individual or immediate good. Now think of it this way. If you were to take all the ingredients for a cake 
and you were to taste each of those ingredients separately, you know, flour, raw egg, baking soda, vanilla extract, if you were to taste each one of those separately, it would taste terrible by itself. But a remarkable thing occurs when you take all of those ingredients and you mix them together in their right amounts, bake it in an oven, you will end up with something that tastes so good. In a similar way, every tragedy, every suffering, every individual event and bout of evil tastes bitter to us in that moment. And Romans 8.28 doesn't tell us that it is good if I break my arm. It is good if my home is destroyed in fire. Paul's not saying that. He's not saying it's good if I'm robbed or beaten or I develop cancer or my kid dies. Rather, what Paul's saying in Romans 8.28 is he promises to those who love God, who, who are walking according to, to his plans and purposes for their life, that God carefully, sovereignly mixes and measures all the ingredients of our lives. And as they're measured, as we look back on the after life after our life here on earth is done when we look back on that i believe god will have produced a wonderful final product that declares and makes evident his goodness a lot of times we choose to define god's goodness in terms of what brings us health wealth and happiness god defines his goodness in terms of what makes us more like jesus Again, we choose. We, we want God's goodness to be defined and made evident in our lives by, by health, wealth, and happiness. But God defines goodness in terms of what is it that you need that's gonna conform you more and more and more into the likeness of his son. Do you realize if God answered all of our prayers to be delivered from evil and suffering, he would also be delivering us from Christ's likeness. Despite all appearances, God can and will redeem the most terrible situations and God will weave it all together so that in the end, it will come forth as goodness. If Romans 8.28 means anything, surely it means that. There's one other thing I think we would be wise to keep in mind about God. Not only is God all good and all powerful, but he's also all knowing. God knows everything from beginning to end. We don't even know what we don't know, but there's nothing that God doesn't know from everlasting to everlasting. And there's, no, uh, there's one other conclusion that you can draw. God and God alone knows how to use even the evil in this world and in our lives in such a way that it turns out for our good and for our glory. Proverbs 16, four makes this statement. The Lord has made everything for his own purposes, even the wicked for a day of disaster. And you're gonna see the ultimate example of the greatest wickedness. I'm gonna talk about this next week. The greatest wickedness, the greatest evil, and how God took it and turned it into the greatest purpose and the greatest good mankind has ever seen.
But you gotta remember this. God's principles and promises are the same for every believer, but his plans and purposes may be entirely different. God's principles and his promises are the same for every one of us, but his plans and his purposes may be entirely different. As I said last week, God doesn't need evil and suffering to accomplish his plans and purposes in our lives, but he can and he does use evil and suffering in our lives to mature us, to grow us, to force us to look to him and to place our trust in him. And some of us here, we're gonna do that in good health. Some of us will do that in bad health. Some of us will do that having a lot. Some of us will do that having little. The point is, God is going to get every one of us to the same destination, but he is not going to get all of us there the same way. At the end of the day, when it's all said and done, everything will be put together in such a way and God will use it in such a way that it will be for our ultimate good and for his eternal glory. God does this with us. And I want you to understand, he didn't even spare his own son, Jesus, from this process. Hebrews 5.8 says, even though Jesus was God's son, he learned obedience from the things he suffered. Let me just, uh, I, we're at a good stopping point here. I've got probably 30 more pages here. Um, we'll pick it up here. There's just a lot. I mean, I, you know, I, this is just a topic that I think, you know, we're, we're in a day and age right now where we, we just see evil. Um, and, and again, it can be a very frightening, it can be a very overwhelming thing. But I think the more we talk about this from the Bible's perspective, from God's point of view, I don't know about you, but it just gives me a peace and a confidence uh, that I just don't feel uh, anything um, can, can rob um, me of. So again, I, I just, uh, I hope that this is helpful uh, for you. Um, I'm having a good time. Um, so let's just stand and pray this morning. Father God, we just, again, I, I just thank you for your goodness. And God, I just repent of, of the limits that I've put on your goodness. And so God, just open our eyes, open our heart, open our understanding open our spirits, God, that we can really just again begin to get the glimpses of your goodness. I'd love to be able to see what those living beings see that are surrounding the throne that, that just cause them to cry out, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God, the Almighty. And God, we just thank you, Lord, that the word says, Lord, to taste and see that you are good. So God, that is an invitation in this life, God, that, that we can taste, we can see, we can experience, and we can know your goodness in this life. God, there's so much in life right now that wants to extinguish or wants to blur or, or just wants to eclipse your goodness. And God, we just thank you, Lord, that your, your goodness, your mercy, your grace, God, all that you are, God, is eternal, it is from everlasting to everlasting. I thank you, Father, that evil and suffering, it has an expiration date. There will be a time where it will come to an end. But God, in the meantime, God, it does not need to rule us. 
And Father, we just thank you, Lord, that it is through your goodness, Father, revealed to us in very simple and very practical and very tangible ways. And God, I pray, Lord, that we would never take that for granted. All that you have given to us, God, every blessing in our life, God, the ones we see, the ones we don't see, that all of that is a manifestation. It is an expression of your goodness. And God, we thank you for that. And God, we also just look and we marvel, God, at the complex and the mysterious ways that your goodness is manifested and made evident to us. And God, again, just help us to open our eyes, open our hearts that, God, we would yearn to know more from you on these profound, these, these mysterious, these complex ways that your goodness is given to us. And so, Father, I just pray for any brother or sister here this morning who maybe is just overwhelmed right now with, with evil, with suffering. Maybe there's persecution there's trials going on in their lives and they're kind of like Job. They're really wrestling in their heart trying to figure out what is going on. Where are you, God? Lord, I, I just pray again that you will help them to see what Paul saw there in Romans 8.28. That everything that's going on in their lives, God, that you're able to use it all, the good and the bad, that you're able to use it all, God, and to bring forth goodness. And so Father, I just pray for them, Lord, that you'll give them patience, that you'll strengthen them in this moment. And that God, you'll just again cause them to see that you're not gonna put anything on them, God, that they're not able to bear, God, but that you'll make a way to endure, to be victorious in that. So Lord, I just pray you'll strengthen and encourage hearts here this morning that just need to hear that. Father, we just, again, we lift up the, the families, especially the Rose family that uh, are, are grieving the loss of a loved one. And I know there are, are people here this morning who continue to grieve the loss of loved ones. God, I just pray again, Lord, that they would just experience your comfort, your strength, your mercy, your goodness, your peace, and your comfort. So Father, again, we just we lift up uh, these families. We lift up the Rose family. Be with them today as they gather with family and friends. Be with them tomorrow as they gather here in this church, Lord. We just pray again that they would just feel your sustaining strength, your companionship with them. And Father, again, we just thank you for all of this. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. I want to... Thanks for listening. For more information about Praise Community Church, including gathering times and events, please visit us at praisecc.org.